Welcome, everybody, to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing great, D. How you doing, man? Holy crap. I think somebody just threw a beer bottle at me. (laughs) (laughs) You want a pizza, me? (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Colliban. All right, everybody, we are back for our comparison of Dr. Feelgood versus Skid Row. We covered Dr. Feelgood last week, and we are back with the debut album of Skid Row titled Skid Row. Very creative. Jason, you remember getting this album? Oh, for sure. I jumped in right after Youth Gone Wild. I had a friend make a mixtape of this for me. Um, actually, when we when we listened to the tracks like one by one, yeah. I can tell you the exact spot where I ran out of time and needed to go home. And so he hit the stop button uh-huh. and handed me the tape. And so like for me, for like six months, this album was seven and a half songs long. <laughs> That's uh, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What What do you remember about Skid Row? Yeah, I can remember slow dancing to I Remember You and seeing the videos, especially 18 and Life on MTV, but it wasn't an album that I owned. So you were, you're better off with seven and a half songs than I was at the time. Well, I'll tell you this. This was a staple in my car. Like this was, I mean, Dr. Feelgood, New Jersey, Skid Row, you know, 5150. Pop one out, put one in, listen to the whole thing. I'm good to go. So I saw Skid Row open for Bon Jovi in 1989 in Tulsa, Oklahoma with my entire high school. It was the biggest single event to come to Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1989, right? So they opened for Bon Jovi. They put on a great show, and the argument at school the next day was, who is better, Skid Row or Bon Jovi? And Bon Jovi at the time was, I mean, a giant among teenage music listeners at the time. All right, so how about we jump in and start talking about the history of the band? Let's do it. Okay, our story begins in 1971 when a young seven-year-old Dave Sabo says to a young seven-year-old John Bon Jovi, I'm going to be a rock star someday. (laughs) so they john bon jovi and dave the snake sabo make an agreement at seven years old that they are going to become rock stars and they agree that if either one of them becomes famous before the other one that that famous one will help the other one become famous Okay, so I've heard this story as well, right? This is a very interesting historical piece of Skid Row. I do think it's interesting that Dave Sabo, while he didn't play on Bon Jovi's first album, he did tour with them a little bit as Bon Jovi to support Runaway. Right, yeah. Before they brought Richie Sambora in, Dave was the guitarist. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. These bands have been tied together since 1984. So... Back in 71, whenever seven-year-old John Bon Jovi and seven-year-old Dave Sabo are exchanging their promises to make each other famous, (laughs) about the same time, the parents of a kid named Sebastian Burke are living in the Bahamas, and they hire a Bahama woman to come and babysit. They return home early to find this Bahama woman with two of her friends dancing around young Sebastian Burke's crib, speaking incantation 
incantations and casting what appear to be spells over the little baby. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He would go on to change his name, of course, to Sebastian Bach, because why wouldn't you, if it was that close, name yourself after one of the, you know, the most famous composers of all time. But do you know where the name Sebastian came from? Well, it's not Sebastian the Crab. No, it's not Sebastian the Crab. That was... I mean, that I was about the time that Skid Row the album came out. <laughs> so no, it wasn't that. No, Under so the sea. The lead singer for the Love and Spoonful was a guy named John Sebastian, and as it turns out, Sebastian Bach's dad was a huge fan, and somehow lucked into meeting John Sebastian at some point, and they went up to the top of a hill and smoked a doobie together, and he said, "Someday I'm going to name my kid after you," and he. Held to, true to that promise. Wow. How about that? That's cool. Yeah. Great story. And Sebastian's a cool, I mean, that's a cool rock name, you know? It's his given oh, yeah. name, but it's a cool name. Absolutely. When Sebastian was a little bit older, about 1975, he's walking with his dad down the boardwalk and they see something that grabs his attention as a little, what, seven, six, seven-year-old kid. It's these kind of uh, scary, dark-haired creatures with white faces and frightening visages on their face. And he says, Dad, what is that? And his dad says, son, that's Kiss. <laughs> and so from a very early age, Sebastian Bach becomes a huge Kiss fan. And unfortunately, a few years later, his parents decide to get a divorce. And it is it is the music of Kiss and his love for comic books, including Batman and the Incredible Hulk, uh, that get him through that troubling time. And then a few years after their divorce, his dad shows back up. It's the first time and the last time their family will be together as one unit again. And it is to go and see a kiss concert. And so they're all riding together. They're listening to music. They're seeing all of these people around when they get to the concert area who are of course dressed up like the demon and the cat and all of the others and taking pictures with all of them. And when they get inside their seats are in the nosebleed sections and Sebastian says, I don't even care. I'm just so happy that my family is together again. And then at this moment after the intro show is over and they start doing the intro introduction for kiss and every and all the lights go out he suddenly is snatched up and someone is running with him and he realizes it's his dad and so at the moment that everybody's looking at the stage anticipating what's going to happen his dad has grabbed him jumped over the wall and runs all the way to the front row, puts Sebastian on his shoulders, and he gets to watch the entire Kiss show from his dad's shoulders on the front row. And a rock star is born. That is awesome. What a, That is such a cool story, man. At some point, Ace Freely throws a styrofoam cup that he drank some water or something out of <laughs> into the into the crowd and Sebastian catches it and keeps it for years afterwards. Wow. That's cool. Have you ever caught anything at a concert like that? Um, no. Um, I can remember going to a Smashing Pumpkins concert and we did the same thing. Like we had friends who had front row tickets. And so we kind of swapped back and forth with them. And when we went to the front row, this girl that I was with uh, must've been incredibly enticing to Billy Corrigan because he called her up on stage. Wow. So That's cool. I, did, I didn't get something thrown to me. I got something taken away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
So Sebastian had grown up with uh, his mom sang all the time, sang with her sisters, and he enjoyed singing since before he could remember any other memories. And they would have him stand at the table and sing, and it was all very exciting. And then one day he was singing, and one of his buddies is like, hey, you should come join the choir with me. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh... Okay, why? He goes, well, number one, because if I bring you, they give me extra money. And number two, they will pay you to come sing in the choir. Yeah. She's like, pay to sing? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Right. So he goes to the audition for the choir master who's out there paying his choir. <laughs> and uh, the, he's like, all right, Sebastian, let's work up the, up the piano scale. Let's see what your range is. And basically he just kept going up and up and Sebastian kept matching every single note until he reached the end of the piano. I remember this part in the book and Sebastian said to the instructor, well, did I make the choir? And the instructor said, Sebastian, you are the choir. Sebastian has such a talent that it was instantly recognized by his music teacher. Right. There is no question about this guy's vocal abilities. All right. So third component of our band is a gentleman named Rachel Bolan. So Rachel's not his real name. His real name is James Richard Southworth, but he (laughs) changed his name. Uh, Rachel is a combination of his brother's name, Richard, and his grandfather's name, Manuel. I don't really know how you get Rachel out of that, but okay. Yeah. Bolan is after the T-Rex lead singer, Mark Bolan. Okay, cool. Okay. Skid Row formed in 1986 in Tom's River, New Jersey, when guitarist Dave Sabo met bassist Rachel Bolan at the local guitar store that Dave Sabo was working at. Dave Sabo is working in a guitar store, right? And Rachel Bolan walks in with a pink leather coat and a red beret and (laughs) and Dave Sabo says, I will never forget that moment. He looked like a freaking star. I just had to strike up a conversation and it worked out very well. They realized, Hey, we need to get together. And so they started getting together. They started writing stuff together. They came from different backgrounds. Uh, Sabo uh, had more Judas Priest and Iron Maiden influences, while uh, Rachel's roots were in the Ramones. But they also had a common love for Van Halen and Kiss. Nice. Okay. Cool. Dave Sabo and Rachel Bolin get together. They're writing music together. Rachel says, hey, I got another guy who can play guitar with us. His name is Scotty Hill. And then they say, oh, yeah. And we've got this other guy who will be a perfect drummer. And then Dave says, no, I think that guy just got sent to jail for stabbing somebody. Uh, <laughs> So like, oh, okay, well, then maybe we should go with Rob Afuso, who, who was in a Rush tribute band. Now, we're talking about a drummer in a Rush tribute band. Right. I can't tell you the quality of the band, but if you're covering Rush songs as a drummer, you must be good. I mean, you just, you just have to be, because Neil Peart, it was like the godfather of all drumming. And to this day, Rob Afuso is the one guy who's still friends with all of the members of the band. But he's also said, I will not play with Skid Row again unless Sebastian Bach is the one singing with us. Okay, I wanted to touch just a little bit on, there's a band called Kid Wicked who yeah. was traveling throughout Canada 
and they ended up in Petersboro, where they met a 13-year-old boy named Sebastian Bach. They were looking for a lead singer, and even though he was only 13 years old and surrounded by 20 to 30-year-olds, he laid out this rock and roll scream that they heard and said, that kid, that's the one. We need him to be our lead singer. And they're like, he's 13 years old. I don't care. He needs to be our lead singer. Yeah. So his father would not let him go run around with his band, but he did agree to let Sebastian go live in Toronto with an aunt so that he could join the band and tour with the band. I get the impression that Sebastian's dad was a pretty, pretty cool guy, maybe yeah. a little too cool, but, but, but a pretty cool guy. He was an art teacher and, you know, a full on sixties hippie, but he was an interesting cat. Yeah. So the original singer, obviously for Skid Row is not Sebastian Bach. Yeah, I really found this interesting because this guy named Matt Fallon was their original lead singer. He toured with Skid Row while opening for Bon Jovi on the Slippery When Wet tour. It's not like this guy can't sing or didn't have any chops at all. There's demos out there of him singing these beloved Skid Row songs. We'll, we'll touch on that here in just a little bit. Matt Fallon is the lead singer of the band. They're feeling, Skid Row is feeling like they're pretty tight at this point. And at this point, Bon Jovi is famous. Yeah, And yeah. so once, you know, I mean, John had said, you know, I'm not, I have not forgotten my promise at seven years old. I will stick to it. You, you guys just got to be tight before I'm going to make a pitch because I don't want it to fail. And they had gotten pretty tight with Matt Fallon. And so at that point, Bon Jovi is having a little backyard barbecue, and one of the attendees is his manager, a guy named Doc McGee, who you might have heard of. And if you haven't, then uh, I'll just tell you, he was the manager of like every major metal band in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking, talking, what do we get? We had, we had Molly Skid Crew. Row, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi. Uh, I think he was managing Ozzy. I think he was Ozzy. managing the Scorpions. Yes. Kiss. He's got, you've heard of the Moscow Music Peace Festival. That was him. And albeit it was because he was in trouble with drugs and probably <laughs> put this concert on as a way to help him get out of that trouble. But that, that be that as it may, he was a big hitter at the moment, right? He definitely was. And so John Bon Jovi invites Dave Stabo to come over to his house for this backyard barbecue with with Doc McGee, and so as soon as he gets him alone, Dave Sabo just starts giving him his whole pitch of how they're going to be a great band and they're going to take over the world and all of these songs that they got and they can't wait and everybody's so driven and all of this and he gives him the probably this ten minute long spiel at the end of which Doc McGee says, "All right, you want to go get me a beer or something." <laughs> <laughs> But it worked out well. Skid Row starts opening up for Bon Jovi, but Doc McGee says, you know what? Um, your lead singer's not as driven as the rest of you guys. You need to get rid of him. Yep. And so that's, I mean, geez, that's huge. I mean, you, you're right there. You're thinking it's all about to happen. And they say, get rid of your front man. I mean, it's I not like, you know, change out the bassist. <laughs> this is the guy singing all the songs. I mean, this is the face of the band at the moment, right? Right, and it's and they're touring with Bon Jovi. They're on the Slippery When Wet concert tour. They they followed Doc McGee's advice. They got rid of Matt Fallon. They started auditioning other people, and they couldn't find anybody. So they're auditioning singer after singer after singer. They can't find anybody that they think is the right fit for the band until 
they get a call from John Bon Jovi's parents. They had been to the wedding of a photographer named Mark Weiss, who there's a fantastic podcast out there done by Frank Hannon. Uh, He's recently done an interview with Mark Weiss. He's a photographer for all of the major bands that you and I love from the 70s and 80s, all the metal bands. But be that as may, at some point he got married. John Bon Jovi's parents went to the wedding. And in addition to them, a few other folks that you might have heard of, Zach Wilde, Kevin Dubrow of Quiet Riot, uh, several of the members of Twisted Sister, all of these guys are there because, hey, he's a heavy metal photographer, right? right. And they happen to have a wedding singer there who is blowing everybody's mind, a young guy named Sebastian Bach. Wow. They heard Sebastian at a wedding. The wedding singer. He's the wedding singer. Of course yeah. he is. So they call up they call up the guys and they're like, Hey, we think we got a guy who might be perfect for you, but he's only nineteen years old. Uh-huh. Uh what? Okay, whatever. Yeah, okay. If he's that good, no, he's that good. So they pool their money. I mean, they've they've got nothing. They've got no record contract. They've got nothing. Right, right. They pool their money together and they fly this guy out. So, I mean, just imagine this, all right? This is an unfamous, nobody knows these guys. They're sitting in Dave Sabo's kitchen. (laughs) 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 And they're just waiting because they're just anticipating. I mean, they're just in a New Jersey little house, right? Right, right. And so they sent Scott Hill to go pick him up from the airport. They're all just waiting to see what's going to happen. There with them is Dave's mom, who they all affectionately refer to as Mrs. Snake. (laughs) Snake? (laughs) And they're just like, oh, this is, we just want this to work. We just want this to work. And so in walks this guy who's so tall, he's got a duck under the doorway as he walks in. And... (laughs) In his Canadian accent with, (laughs) you know, these beautiful high cheekbones says, dudes, I've got a 10 inch. (laughs) 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 What a fantastic intro and how prophetic about the way the rest of that band's career was going to go, right? Seriously. (laughs) So when they first had him sing, he literally, he sang so high that they had to like go, okay, dude, that's just too high. I mean, you're going to have to rein it back in a little bit. But once they did, it was like, ah, he's, he's got the perfect voice. And then somebody else was like, yeah, but he's obnoxious and loud. And they said, yeah, but he's a front man, right? That's what, that's the way they're supposed to be. (laughs) So they decided, all right, that's what we'll do. And that night they went to a bar, they get, they start drinking together. They know this is going to be a thing. They even sang 18 in life that first night in some dive bar stage. Wow. Terrible. But Rachel Bowen announces from the stage, this is our new lead singer. And then Sebastian Bach gets completely blitzed and almost gets in a fight, but he's so drunk he misses his punch by about a foot and falls <laughs> over to the floor. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, that obnoxious and loud thing uh, will only 
get magnified with fame and riches. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> so after they've got their lineup and they present themselves to Bon Jovi, they sign with Richie Sambora and John Bon Jovi's publishing company called Underground, but they don't realize at the time that they're also giving up most of the royalties they get, which, I mean, that's all that a band has whenever they're making music is the royalties. Not only do they not get the money that like their record producers are going to make, they give most of what they would be making over to John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora. As I understood it, Richie Sambora ended up giving a lot of it back to him, but John Bon Jovi, probably because of his relationship with Sebastian Bach, said... F you, I'm keeping the money. Yeah, I think that's right. There's some interesting things that Sebastian said about John Bon Jovi from the stage. I believe he called him John Go Blow Me or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So they spend a year fine-tuning their act. I mentioned this last time. At the point that Sebastian Bach joined the band, he was with VO5 and they were opening for Motley Crue during the Girls, Girls, Girls tour. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. He had told he had told Nikki Six, "I'm going to be a rock star." And I don't know if you remember it, but about five years ago, I kicked the door open so that we could get in. Hey, there's one story that I wanted to tell that we we kind of blew past when they were first recruiting Sebastian Bach to come play for the band. One of the things that they did was they sent him a tape of their songs, most of the songs on this album. So they had this album kind of ready. They had been playing it live. They had been touring with Bon Jovi. I mean, they, they had these songs. These are great rock songs still needed a singer to, to put it over the top, but they sent the tape to him. And when Sebastian listened, but the one song that stuck out to him was a song called youth gone wild. And Sebastian's like, you know what? That's a song that I, I can do something with. He said, that was the song that made me join the band, which is so appropriate because it's such a great rock anthem. It's their first single. It's what put them on the map, but that's the song that recruited Sebastian to the band. So yeah. So Rachel Bolin and Dave Sabo wrote almost all of the songs on this debut album. They end up hooking up with a guy to produce the album named Michael Wagner. He's worked with Motley Crue, with Great White, with Striper, Poison, Alice Cooper, Extreme, Megadeth. And the one that he produced right before this album was Saigon Kick by Saigon Kick. And I owned that album, and I probably haven't thought about that band or that (laughs) album in about 35 years. I was just like, what? Oh, wow. I didn't even. That song, Love is on the Way, has got to be that album, right? That's why I bought the tape. You ready to dive into the track listing, D? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's jump into the album. Let's go. The first song on the album is Big Gun. Man, when he comes in with those lyrics, you're listening to this album for the first time and you're just like, holy crap. And he's not even done anything awesome yet. Oh, yeah. Vocally, the first two songs in the album, he stays pretty just straight line rock voice. So this this song comes on strong, right? It's a good lead off track for the album. Good rocker. Big guns blowing me away. This is clearly about breasts. 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 
He's got big guns pointed at my heart. Uh huh. Bang, bang, shoot me like a firing squad. Big guns. She blew me away, and I went down in flames. Well, but see, she was she was just a ballerina on a subway train. <laughs> Stiletto Hills and a candy cane. Now, I'm wondering if maybe this was a lady of the night, as they like to say. Hot on the tail of a social call. <laughs> There's only really one thing that that could possibly mean, so there we go. Like is a battle and love is war. Yeah. There's a part in this song where he says, I'm doing time as a backseat Romeo. Play solitaire with my hands in the air. Another night and no bullets to spare. That's my favorite part of the whole song right there. And what do you think that means, Jason? I think she's got big guns and they're pointed out your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not at the moment that he's playing solitaire, though. When I went to the concert in 1989, when they opened for Bon Jovi, this was on the concert t-shirts, right? It said, it had a girl and a big, like a six shooter and it said big guns. So this one, I mean, it's a it's a great song. It's a good album beginning song, a good pumping song. They had better ones on the album. Why do you think they started with this one? I don't know. I like it. It has a lot of energy. It starts off with attitude. You know, it's a good Skid Row song. This was the song that they closed their set list with during that Bon Jovi New Jersey tour. So this is the only song on the album that lists Scotty Hill, Rachel Bolin, Dave Sabo, and Rob Afuso on it. Most of them are just by Bolin or Bolin and Sabo. This is the only one that has all of the members of the band, except for Sebastian Bach. I like this one. This is a good one. Thumbs up. It's mid-range for me. Okay. I'll I'll give it a so-so. All right. Sounds good. All right. Next one is Sweet Little Sister. I think this is the first song that, that on the album that Sebastian starts to demonstrate his talent. Vocals are strong on this one. He's uh, he's rolling fast through a lot of stuff. When he sings that alligator and he pulls out the gator. Yep. Yeah, you're getting a taste of what's to come. He's rolling that. I don't know what they call it, vibrato or whatever. Uh-huh. Okay, here's something that I noticed when I looked at the lyrics on this song, right? First line, the opening line of this song, she blew my mind behind the record machine. She was a load of trouble called a subway queen, right? Right. So I don't know why that stands out in my brain, but just that term record machine, that makes me immediately think of the song Jump by Van Halen. Totally. Yeah. I mean, where else do you hear that? Got my back against the record machine. And these guys had already admitted that they were big Van Halen fans, right? It was one of two bands that Rachel Bolin and Dave Sabo both liked, which Kiss and Van Halen. I bet it is. I bet it's a I bet it is a sideways glance to jump. Sweet. Okay. Cool. I can dig that. I like this song too. So I'm two for two. These are great, solid 80s hair metal rockers. Yeah, this is a good, I mean, it's a good pumping one. I like this one a little bit better than the first one. I really like that you're starting to hear his vibrato as he's singing out Alligator. I dig it. Yep. Still nothing super fancy yet vocally, but hang on because it's coming. Tight-lipped now, but she sinks ships later. Uh, I love that part in the song <laughs> where he's saying that. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so that brings us to song number three. Song called Can't Stand the Heartache. Okay, I love this song. I think this could have been a hit. I've always loved the vocals on this song. He starts to really show off his talent. This song got airplay on my local radio station. Yeah, this is 
they're they're doing a nice build. This is better than the first two songs. They just yep. they just keep getting better. And that chorus that they come in with, that that harmony that they do, perfect. Then they explode with the guitars. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, this is a great song, man. I, I really enjoy this song. I want to point out something on this song, okay? So I've mentioned that I think the vocals are awesome, but there's a part in the song uh, during the chorus where he says, Can't stand the heartache, so bleeds the red, red rose. Time heals the broken heart, but that's just the way it goes, okay? Yep. So throughout the song, at the beginning, the way he says goes is sort of low-level, then the next time through the chorus, it's like medium. Mm-hmm. And then third time through, it's like high. He start, he hits that goes really hard. And then the last time he hits it, it's a, it's like goes. It, it's, it's really great. And I can't imitate it, but let's play it right here. I just think it's really cool. I just think that that one note is awesome with his voice. Fantastic build. And the chorus of this is such a hook. I mean, the melody that they've got on the chorus on this song totally makes the song. It is fantastic. One of the best on the album. Yeah, great pop metal right here. All right, the next song on the album, after Can't Stand the Heartache, this song is called Peace of Me. Nice bass line. almost a heavy metal version of the Mission Impossible theme. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, Dee, this song is about getting into a fight. Is it? I think so. You got your heels? Are you looking pretty? (laughs) (laughs) This is the song that Sebastian was singing when he got hit in the head with that stray object in that concert. Uh, They were opening for Aerosmith. The we are we talking about the infamous beer bottle incident? Yes, yes. Oh yeah. Do we want to tell that story now? Might as well. Yeah, right. sure. It's during the piece of me part of that set. Right. Well, first let's talk about the song. So the song, I love it. I just I I love it. Okay. I, I, you've got kind of a common thread on the meaning on all of these songs. It's really pretty much about hooking up with these dirty nasty girls and. <laughs> And that's that's great. It's all about rock and roll and, and what's rock and roll about, but getting the girls. But uh, I just love I love the bass line. And then you break off and you get peace of me. I, I love the break. I love the dynamics of this one. It's it's really, really solid. And it's a really short song. I mean, this song's like less than three minutes long. It's a super quick song. But they've, it's tight. I, I, it's, it's a good, tight, uh, driven rock song. I, I really enjoy it. The video, you can talk about the video real quick? Sure. So the video is, is a mix of concert footage of the band, mostly close-ups of their faces singing, or maybe uh, you know, a picture of uh, Rachel Boland's butt in his tight white jeans while he's playing that bass line. But... <laughs> It's intermixed with this the these cops arresting all of these people who appear to be concert goers. I did read an article that uh, Sebastian talking about how um, he doesn't get credit for this song, but Rachel Bolin was messing around with the bass line, and Sebastian's like, "Yeah, man, that's really good." And Rachel's like, "You like this one, 
and it was the bump, 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 and that's what started the build of the song. And through Sebastian's encouragement, basically, they built that song on that baseline. No credit, according to Sebastian. Right. So you see guys getting thrown against the ground. You see girls getting thrown against the police cars. They're not discriminatory on how they abuse the people who are getting arrested, that's for sure. Right. How dare you go to a concert? I'm going to bust your butt. And so, interestingly, that this video would be about getting arrested because December 27th, 1989, they are performing this song in Springfield, Massachusetts, and suddenly Sebastian Bach feels something graze his head and then sees this red substance coming down over his eyes. She's like, why would somebody throw a can of tomato juice at me? As it turned out, it was a beer bottle and that was blood coming down into his face. And once he realized that, he looked out in the crowd and started screaming, who did that? Who threw that? And some guy was giving him uh, the California howdy with uh, both hands. (laughs) And he was like, he was like, I'm coming after you want a piece of me. And that's like, I mean, of course, that's the song that they're playing. But before he dives in to start uh, wailing on this dude, he decides to throw the beer bottle back, which was a horrible decision. Yeah, because he's not a major league pitcher, so he misses his target (laughs) and manages to hit a girl right in the face. A 14-year-old girl. Yeah. And she ends up getting 125 stitches in her face. And just from the scuffle, I don't think anybody actually knew what had happened to the girl at the time, uh, uh, you know, other than the people she was associated with. But just because of the fight that broke out, uh, Doc McGee was getting them out of there quick, getting them on the road quick. But before they could get out of Massachusetts, the Massachusetts PD pulled over the van, took Sebastian Bach out and said, you're going to jail, buddy. Yeah, it's really – Sebastian continued to make poor decisions. He was kind of his own worst enemy. I mean, he's definitely his own worst enemy throughout his entire time with this band. This decision was the worst of the bunch. Well, there's a T-shirt incident that was pretty close. That was second worst. This was yeah. first worst. I guess no one was physically injured with a T-shirt incident. But, yes, it's I, – I, I mean, the guy – the, the guy is an amazing physical specimen. He looks, <laughs> there's a picture of him on the cover of the book that you gave me that, <laughs> that, that has him with, you know, he, he's, it's him from the 80s and he's got his arms up in the air, no shirt on, and he's kind of, you know, showing off the physique a little bit. Right. Caleb was like, dude, dad, why do you, why do you have that book? That's gross. <laughs> and I was like, it's just as it's just the, the singer of the 18 and line or no, it's just the singer of, I remember you. And he goes, a girl sang that song. And I was like, <laughs> no, dude, that's not a girl. He's like, well, but that's a girl. I'm like, no, that's not a girl, man. He yeah. goes, that's a guy. That's even more gross, dad. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he, I mean, one of the most outstanding voices in all of rock history, amazing facial structure, amazing physical stature and build. And I mean, how do you, how do you screw all that up? He screwed it all up and you're exactly right. He's everything you look for in a, in a lead front man, amazing voice, great looking dude, young, 
He fits the attitude of the band. He's, he's the perfect fit, except he makes stupid decisions and he's obnoxious and he's, he just rubs everybody around him the wrong way. Yeah. He is very, very impulsive, very impulsive There's in his defense. Yeah. He is 21 years old. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I didn't have that kind of power influence money at 21 and thank goodness I didn't. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I certainly made plenty of stupid decisions without having all the drugs, women and money that I could ever want. Right. Yeah. So Piece of Me is their fourth single off the album. It's their fourth and final single. This was released. Uh -huh. I couldn't really find a date on this, but in my memory, it's February of 1990. It's kind of early 1990. It's the last single. Have you ever heard the Axl Rose version of this song? No. But yeah, so Axl Rose actually sings a version of this song. It's pretty cool to hear Axl sing a Skid Row song. I don't know. Yeah. This was a big hit on MTV. Like Headbangers Ball, it was, it was a big hit. Cool? Yes. All right, we're moving on to one of the big hitters. Sure, yeah. So we've had a steady build. I'd put Piece of Me right there with Can't Stand the Heartache, both solid. Just keeps getting better, keeps getting better as the A-side plays on. We are ramping up. The next song on the album is 18 and Life. got a different beginning here this is slow and sweet and mysterious and dark we're not talking about hooking up with girls and we're not talking about getting in fights oh listen to that voice oh there they go big hit now this is a beautiful rock song a yeah. beautiful rock song. It's got an awesome mix of the ballad and the rock pumping in your face, too, for the uh, intro to the chorus. And then you've got a really, you got some deep lyrics here. And this isn't, Ricky is based upon a story that Dave Sabo had read that actually involved a kid who shot his friend. Didn't realize, he said he didn't know the gun was loaded and killed his friend and got life in prison. And of course the video on this has got these, you know, disenfranchised youth spray painting and tearing up the lapidated buildings. And then they're shooting the, shooting bottles with the gun. Ah, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Okay. So this reached number four on the hot 100. This was their second single released June 16th, 1989. This is their biggest hit. But there's two parts in the song that really set it apart from everything else. Okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a part in the song as the, it builds toward the, the guitar solo. And Sebastian sings, That child blew a child away. Most moving line on the whole album. His voice to the guitar solo, it's so sad and powerful. It's just chilling. I love it. The second part of the song that blows me away are his straight-up screams at the end of the song. This is Sebastian really demonstrating his uh, talent and how that sets him apart from everybody else. Yeah. When you compare that line to Matt Fallon's line... Uh, well... Yeah, it's, we may have some people listening who who are still Skid Row fans now, but 
I gotta say, from my perspective, Skid Row without Sebastian Bach is not Skid Row. No. No. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm I'm gonna defend the band, okay? There's a lot of people who say they're trash without Sebastian. Well, they they wrote these great rock songs. So they yeah. do they deserve credit for that. I mean, you know, Dave Sabo and Rachel Bolin wrote 18 in Life. That's a great rock song. Uh-huh. But Sebastian is what took them over the top. And I wish they could put their differences aside and reform the loved lineup of Skid Row to perform these songs again. Yeah. The uh, I had this poster, okay? So I had a, this one of these really cool record stores in, in town. And uh, they would give away like these old posters that they didn't want anymore. So mm-hmm. I have upstairs in my attic right now a humongous picture of the 18 in Life single as a poster. Nice. Okay, here's something I thought was interesting. In April of 2015, they had a new singer named Tony Harnell. Mm-hmm. They re-recorded 18 in Life and re-released it as a free download on the band's website. Okay. This is the like, only studio recording they had with him on vocals. And it was a it was a it was a good effort. Okay. But nobody has Sebastian's voice. Right. And it's not his fault, it's just the reality of life. Only Sebastian can sing this song. 18 in Life was named the 60th best hard rock song of all time by VH1 and was certified gold on September 13th in 1989. Love this song. It's iconic 80s. The vocals blow me away every single time. Yep. We are peaking on side one. (laughs) All right. You done with 18 in life? Yeah. Moving on to Rattlesnake Shake. Yes, Dr. Feelgood. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We already covered this song. Wait a Oh, no. So the both, they both sang the same song. No, no, they didn't. <laughs> Different song, same title, even though they came out at almost exactly the same time. This had to have been somebody mentioned to somebody that, hey, I'm working on this song called Rattlesnake Shake. Oh, that's kind of a cool title. And they all kind of went off and ran with it. And this is what they came up with. Yeah. It's got a good intro line. And it it seems like it's going to have hope. And I can totally see strippers playing this song for themselves. But uh, this is the low point on the album for me. I mean, okay. we had we had pretty good, even better, really good, really good, blowing my mind and total disappointment for Rattlesnake Shake. <laughs> okay. What are your thoughts? No, I like this one. I mean, you know, I'm trying not to gush on every song in this album. I like every song. The problem with this song is it falls between 18 in Life and Youth Gone Wild. And it is a step down. And it does get a little hokey when he's like, I've got a friend I want to introduce you to. Right? <laughs> that yeah. I mean, he steps into poison <laughs> level lyrics right there. Okay? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I like it, though. I like it. Um, 
I think even sister. this had been in between Big Guns and Sweet Little Sister, I would still think it was the low point in the album. Okay. All right. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not fast forwarding this song. This is not a skipper to me. I still like it. It does get a little hokey for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be flipping the tape over and hitting rewind. Well, it's almost time to do that. <laughs> I like this, the lyric. I don't know why this lyric cracks me up, but he says, tricky little Vicky walks the long, along South street. She learned her French from the boys that she'd meet. I got a laugh when I hear them say she's a sweet little cheese when the cat's away. <laughs> a sweet little cheese. She's a sweet little cheese when the cat's away. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't either. I'm not uh, sure. All right. Are we ready to move on? Well, you're lost in search of passion, but Prince Charming ain't in fashion. So yeah, stop your tape, kick it out. <sighs> Flip it over. Hit rewind since you didn't listen to all of Rattlesnake. (laughs) (laughs) Starting off side two, we have Youth Gone Wild. Oh, yeah. And they've redeemed themselves with that first. Yeah. This is a great song. This is a rock anthem. This is it, like Welcome to the Jungle. I mean, it is. It's where you've got the disenfranchised youth who are finding their song to let their let their pain speak. You know, we're we're tired of your crap. We're gonna go be ourselves. That that's what this song is all about. Yeah. So th- this is what I like about this song, right? This is a grab you by the shirt, shake you around and say, we are the youth gone wild, right? And you've got that street gang like backing vocals, like where they're shouting, it's a group of them saying, we are the youth gone wild. And then you match that with Sebastian's killer vocals. Again, I love it. It's a fist pumper at the highest degree. You're you're in the crowd and you're pumping your fist and you're singing along with uh, in almost a chant. Yeah. And we talked earlier about this is the song that made Sebastian decide to join Skid Row when he was reading the lyrics and kind of learning the tape that they had sent to him. Um, he talked about how the first line, since I was born, they couldn't hold me down. Another misfit kid, another burned out town. He said he felt like that that was speaking into his life. So he really identified with those lyrics. We are the youth gone wild. He even talks about how he was the first believer in this song. He got a tattoo that said youth gone wild before they had a manager, before they had a record deal, before they had anything. This has the Motley Crue live wire feel to me where you're in the crowd, you're pumping your fist, you're singing along, you're like in the chant, fully invested, good Good music on this one. So Sebastian said that uh, I I remember playing youth with the guys. And when we got to the middle part where we do the chorus with just the drums and the vocals, I sang the entire thing in one breath and they all were blown away. They couldn't believe it. Very cool. Good thing he's so humble. Sebastian loves him some Sebastian, like I said. (laughs) Okay, so while they were working on this song, they were discussing how good the song was, what they thought of it, what they thought of the other songs. He said, hey, man, do you think we'll ever go gold? Could you just imagine that? 
And Dave Sabo was like, <laughs> I don't know, man, that'd be, that'd be crazy. And once that album came out, he said it took about two weeks for them to go gold. Yeah. It's a great song. It is. It's yeah. a, it's an anchor song for the album. So this is the song that put them on the map. They, they, I mean, they blasted out of nowhere in January of 89. I, I've got a great quote here. It says, This song, accompanied with a video, announced the band as Rock's newest bad boys, the seedy underside of the poppy winger warrant-style hard rock that had started to dominate the musical landscape. This is more Guns N' Roses than Poison Warrant, Bon Jovi yeah. even. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, Skid Row, even with this album, which is probably the poppiest of the albums that they had, is much more edgy than the than the most popular metal groups of the day. Even, I mean, even Motley. I think even the crew, they're more edgy in this particular moment. Yeah. This is kind of the end. I mean, they, they, they became kind of the poster child for hair metal at the time that hair metal was about to go out of style. Some people have said that Skid Row had unbelievably good timing or unbelievably poor timing. Uh-huh. But they hit that last peak of hair metal before it died. Yep. Sebastian kind of compares this song to Ozzy Osbourne's Paranoid and Van Halen's Running With The Devil. It's their rock anthem. Yeah. Humility all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we ready to move on? Yep, ready to move on. Next song in the album, Here I Am. The song starts off so well. The guitar is really awesome. And then something happens about 20 seconds in. I can't just tell you what it is. Maybe it's... Sebastian Bach telling me how tall he is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but I just get like, oh, okay. Okay. It does get into those. Once again, they drift toward the poison, goofy lyrics. It's not the same grit, youth gone wild, 18 in life, raw, amazing song. It's just, you they've know. Even, they've got a a good melody to the chorus. It's just, I don't know what it is. I can't, I cannot put my finger on what it is about this song that makes me just not want to listen to it. I like it. It's not a skipper, but you get yeah, lyrics. Skipper like, for me. I better see a doctor. Cause I think I'm getting hooked on you. Right. That's a bad pickup line. <laughs> That's a terrible pickup. Line. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, yep. How about this one? Here I am. Close your eyes and I'll be Superman. It's bad. Just because the guitar is great and Sebastian's voice is great, the lyrics are hokey, right? Yeah. Yeah. I like it. It's not a skipper. Like I said, this is the song where my buddy was making a dub tape for me and I had to go home (laughs) because, you know, I was late for supper or whatever. Right. Stop on the tape. It was in the middle of the guitar solo on this song. So... All right. Are we done with Here I Am? Very, very done with it. I would be fast-forwarding still at this moment. So <laughs> I'm just glad that all of these songs are pretty short. Okay. So that brings us to a song called oh, yeah. Making a Mess. Right. 
good beat to this one good guitar riff great voice fast again all right i've got a little tidbit on this song so this is this is the only song on the album that sebastian Bach gets writing credit on and it's him and rachel and dave okay go ahead interesting Tell me what you got okay a couple of summers ago sebastian put out a notice on social media and he said listen any members of skid row that want to come and join me on stage you're invited let's get together i don't think anybody's going to accept dave rachel scotty rob if you want to come and and participate and come join me on stage and we can do some old skid row stuff that would be awesome just let me know open invitation he got one acceptance from rob alfuso and he came and performed making a mess with sebastian on september 25th 2019 i think that's cool good for him i mean i I really i'm not involved in the daily lives of these guys but it just seems crazy that they could not put their differences aside to to even talk i mean they had so much success together it just never really makes any sense to me so this is interesting lyrics the line where he says he lit up a smoke and did some talking with the back of his hand smack right he says that in the song yeah during the concert he would always go up to some person on the front row and and feign like he was smacking them classy yep (laughs) (laughs) then somebody threw a beer bottle at him (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's why they threw the beer bottle i don't have anything more i just want to get on to i remember you dude i've been waiting the entire stinking (laughs) album to get to this song okay the entire stinking album let's make it happen 10th song on the album i remember you so we got a 12 string guitar simple melody two chords Listen to that voice. Okay, so this is their ballad. That's cool. Oh, but of course they come in full throttle. Uh, And the dynamics are there, man. Back again to just the 12 string. A little bit of drum in the back. I love it. Love this song so much. (laughs) This is an amazing, amazing ballad. One of the best of all time. I would, I could make an argument that this was, this is the best rock ballad of the 80s. I could, the argument could be made. His falsetto, his vibrato, his range. Holy crap. It's sweet. It's passionate. It's lovely. I mean, it's beautiful. Love letters in the sand. I don't even know what that means, and I'm still like tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, it's it's so good, man! This is the third single released, November 18th of '89. This was the prom song of the year, nominated by USA Today for 1990. It was the prom song of 1990. Reached number six in the Hot 100. Here's the funny story. I love this story. This was almost not good enough for Rachel Bull and Dave Sabo. They wrote this song, but they thought it was too wimpy, right? <laughs> so they were playing it, and Sebastian's like, guys, this is a great song. And they're like, eh, it's, you know, it's just a song. 
but we don't really think it's good enough for our, our album. We're rock. You know, this is too weenie stuff. And Sebastian's like, guys, I think we need to put this on the album. They're like, no, no. So Doc McGee came to the studio one day and Sebastian's like, Doc, you got to hear this song. You got to hear this song. Guys, we got to play this song for Doc. And Doc's like, all right, I'm listening. And so they play it for him and Doc is laughing the whole time. And so they don't know, is he laughing at us? Is he laughing because it sucks? We don't really know. And so they're like, at the end they finish and they're like, so Doc, what's the deal? Why are you laughing? He's like, that's going on the album. (laughs) This song is covered by Carrie Underwood. Have you heard her do it? Yes, I have. And I got to say, she did a good job with it. I mean, it it takes some brass cojones to tackle a song like this, even if you are Carrie Underwood, but she, she did a great job with it. It's, it's not Celine Dion and ACDC. It's <laughs> that is true. Celine Dion's attempt at ACDC bad. Uh-huh. Carrie Underwood's attempt at Skid Row good. Yeah, and There's she goes gr- all the way. She she goes oh, balls yeah. to the wall, and and she she's still not Sebastian Bach, but she gets close. Yeah, the only thing, honestly, the only thing I don't like about the video is that it's it's somebody out at the concert that's recording what's going on. And then right before it gets really good, they suddenly stop recording. And I'm like, whoa, whoa we don't get the rest. Whoa, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, there is, there's also a great YouTube video out there of, um, I don't remember what this girl's name is, but it's basically like vocal coach listens to whatever. And people recommend, hey, you should go listen to this particular band. And she had never seen nor heard uh, Skid Row do this. She's from the UK. Not that, you know, Skid Row's unknown there, but right. she she didn't know. Him. And so this, they what she listens to is a live performance of this one where he's going all over the place and he's building up the crowd and talking. And I mean, of course, our first impression is like, oh, well, he's quite the physical specimen, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then he's, of course, once he starts singing, she's sure her mind is just blown. But my gosh, is this song just, I mean, this song had to be sung by him. Who else? Who else is going to sing this song? I've got another cool story about this song. Do you know who Nora Jones is? Yeah, yeah, I love her. In an issue of Rolling Stone magazine, they asked Nora Jones, what song was it that made you want to be a rock star? And she said, I Remember You by Skid Row. Wow. She tells a story that she had a crush on this guy in high school, and he was kind of a metalhead, and she made him a (laughs) mixtape that began with I Remember You, right? Right. That's do you I mean, I remember the days of making mixtapes as way of here are my feelings for you, songs one through ten. Yep, for sure. And it wasn't really her deal. She couldn't really get into it, but she could do I Remember You. And that's the one that spoke to her heart, and that's the one that made her want to be a singer. All right. I hate to do it, but we gotta listen to the end of the song. We gotta listen to what he does where he absolutely kills at the end of the song. Here it is, everybody. Go.
absolutely freaking amazing. I could listen to this song a thousand times and give me chills every time. Absolutely. Yeah. It, I, I, you know, I hadn't listened to the song in probably years when, when we decided to do this. And I can still remember uh, putting it on, putting on the headphones and starting my run. And when this thing came on, I like stopped and I just let the hair on my arm stand up. It's so good. The vocals on this song is great. I, I think there's a part in the song that it's not the big crowd pleaser, but he said it's the part where he says, and I swear you'll never be lonely. And he drags out that voice. But that note, he drags out that note. Yeah. And it's, it's not a high one, but it's just it's just a real satisfying and it's right, it goes right into that lead, that guitar lead, which, by the way, is another fantastic part of the song. I mean, th- you, there are there are some songs out there that you know the guitar lead note by note as you're listening to it. Like if somebody said, "Do the guitar lead for," I remember you could you could probably sing it out because it's such a well put together lead, and this is one of those songs. Yeah, you were talking about those uh, reaction videos. Yeah. I saw one where a dad was showing it to his daughter mm-hmm. who knew Sebastian Bach only as the old guy in Gilmore girls. <laughs> right. So he plays, I remember yeah. you the video for her and she watches it and you can just see her eyeballs about pop out of her head. And he's like, didn't know this guy had pipes like that. Huh? And she was, she was amazed. Yeah. That's awesome. Gilmore girls. Guilty pleasure. I got to say, Gilmore Girls is a funny, clever, well-written. It's it's great show, man. It's a great show. It is. And if you like our stuff, (laughs) if you like our stuff, you'll like their stuff. Yeah. Okay. Are we done with I Remember You? Yeah. All right. Couples move out to the uh, center (laughs) of the ice. (laughs) All right. Last song in the album. It's called Midnight Tornado. almost feel like they said we can't finish with a ballad we got to put something in there that kicks butt at the end something that's tough and rough and i want to go back and listen to i remember you (laughs) i like this song i i like all the songs in the album this one got skipped more than anything else just because i was ready to get back to beginning big guns i like it it's good Uh, he has a unbelievably great rock scream in the middle of this song oh yeah for sure yeah but this is almost to me just an add-on well it's it's on par with like big guns and sweet little sister solid rocker nothing spectacular other than that whale it's 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 just a good song i like it yeah yeah they do just kind of throw back to the when i'm feeling wicked and my blood is running hot all right i got one little tidbit on this song i had to dig deep for this one you ready for this I bet. Yes, go ahead. Okay. On October 20th, 2019, Sebastian Bach had a show in Dallas that had to be canceled due to a midnight tornado. That is no joke. (laughs) An actual tornado. An actual tornado that was going to interrupt the show near midnight. Oh, my. Bam. That is something you won't hear on any other podcast. That's pretty good. That's good. That's that's (laughs) a nice touch. Good way to finish off the album. Yeah, it's a good song. It's not the best song in the album by any stretch, but I like it. So what's interesting 
is that while they're touring, right? So they go on tour with Bon Jovi and Aerosmith while this album is building. And even as they're opening for Bon Jovi on their nights off, they would go and play clubs. I think that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. So they were they would play for, you know, 72,000 people in Giant Stadium, and then they'd go play for 20 people at, you know, <laughs> Sam's Bar or whatever. <laughs> So this album peaked at number six on the Billboard 200 and certified five times platinum. This was recorded in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Producer was Michael Wagner, as we said. I think they, Sebastian talks about how they sent him up there to record the album, probably to keep them out of trouble. Is it time now to move to final judgment? It's time to move to final judgment. Two fantastic albums, Dr. Feelgood and Skid Row. Jason. Okay. I know I say this every time. We don't pick losers. We pick favorites. These were two absolute favorites. I carried them everywhere. I listened to them all the time. Here's where I'm coming down. Dr. Feelgood is Motley Crue's best album. The songs there on that album, unforgettable. Dr. Feelgood, fantastic. Kickstart my heart. Same old situation. Don't go away mad. It does have some junk songs on there. She Goes Down, not the best. Time for Change, not the best. Overall, though, it's my favorite Motley Crue album. Skid Row, with the benefit, once again, of having their debut album. You've got your entire life to come up with 10 great songs. Dr. Feelgood, it's their fifth or sixth studio album, so they get a little break there. But the Skid Row debut album, pound for pound, better than Dr. Feelgood, in my opinion. You have fantastic rock anthem, Youth Gone Wild. You have mind-blowing song, 18 in Life. You have maybe the greatest power ballad song of all time, all led by Sebastian's amazing vocals. You've got 10 great rock songs. Skid Row, better album. Motley Crue, better catalog, more fun. I'd rather go see them in concert. But album to album, I'm picking Skid Row. D? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. That's your opinion. It's just that your opinion is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) When we decided to compare these two, I totally thought that I was going to go with Skid Row because... Sebastian Bach's voice is amazing. It is unquestionably better than Vince Neil's voice. Vince Neil has a a decent rock voice at best. He doesn't have a mind-blowingly, like, I can go sing on Broadway and I can scream out rock songs. He just doesn't have that kind of voice that Sebastian Bach does. And so I thought, yeah, okay, so the Skid Row is going to be a sure win. Um, but I, I'm going to have to I'm just going to have to go ahead and disagree with you on this track listing thing. I mean, if we look at the track listing, I'm not even going to, I disagree with you. I don't think there's any skipper on Dr. Feel Good at all, but I'll just throw out some of, some of the best ones. All right. You've got Dr. Feel Good. You've got Kickstart My Heart. Holy crap. What an incredible song you've got without you. You've got same old situation. You've got don't go away mad. Just go away. The only song on here that I think is even close to a skipper is Time for a Change. And that's the like, you know, you're done with the album at that point. 
the whole album is good songs, but even if you throw away the ones that you might think are skippers, you've still got one, two, three, four, five killer songs on Dr. Feelgood. With Skid Row, you've got some decent songs with three, four really great songs. You've got 18 in Life, Youth Gone Wild, I Remember You, Totally Amazing, No Question About It, and Can't Stand the Heartache. Those are the best ones on the album, and the rest of them I, I could skip. I mean, Sweet Little Sisters, okay, but it's not one that's going to fall into my rotation. But Dr. Feelgood, and I had to ask, I'm like, why? Why is it? Because they're both very, very similar sounds, right? You've got hard-hitting guitars, you've got speedy leads on them, but there's just something that's almost undefinable about Dr. Feelgood, and I, I, I'm going to do my best to try to define it, even though... I just said it was undefinable. I think for Dr. Feelgood, Motley Crue finally went back and started pulling from the blues roots a little bit more. And it was more rock than metal. And they had more variation and better melodies. And even, I, and maybe it's just, you know, Nikki Six coming off dying twice as the inspiration for this album. I gotta say, there's more heart, more love, more rock, and more awesomeness in Dr. Feelgood, and it, to me, is the clear winner. All right. Well, and I'm not even a Motley Crue fan. You're the Motley Crue fan. I am the Motley Crue fan. I love both of these guys. I mean, yeah, like I said, Motley Crue catalog way outweighs Skid Row, but I'm I'm taking this one in a slight edge over Dr. Feelgood. We want to hear from you guys. Where do you come down? Am I crazy? Taking the rookies out of the gate against the Goliath that Motley Crue was, maybe the most iconic rock band in the 1980s. Are you with D? Are you with me? Where do you fall? Dr. Feelgood or Skid Row? Okay, next week we have a special edition of the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We got to hang out for a little while with a couple of guys who have made a new movie that we really, really like, and we hope that you guys will too. It'll be fun to listen to them tell their story of how they were able to put together a movie for only $2,000, and it's a great one. So tune in for that one. We will be with the Nuevo brothers uh, discussing their movie Canners. Can't wait for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. We had fun with them and hopefully you guys will enjoy it as much as we did. Guys, thank you again so much for listening in. We love your input on Facebook. We love that we keep growing the listenership every day. Please, please, please tell your friends about us. If you can't send us a thousand dollar check, <laughs> leave us a five-star <laughs> review that would be great. D, it's been fun, man. Yeah. Love both of these albums. In fact, I think I'm going to go listen to them right now. Okay. We'll see you guys next week. Holy crap. This voice is so good, man. Here it comes. Okay, this is it. Big finish. <laughs> it's phenomenal. He's missing one of his strings. Really? Uh-huh. In the video? Yeah, he's got a 12-string, but it's only got 11 of the strings. One of the strings is missing. Wow.